Welcome to Making a Difference, a Junction Journalism production produced by journalism students from universities around Australia. I'm Chanel Macbeth from Griffith University at the Gold Coast campus on Nugumbeh Country. For this month's episode, we're bringing you stories of home. We look at campaigns that support people in the housing crisis and consider the importance of feeling at home in your own body. We also investigate the impact of natural disasters on ecosystems, which we like to think of as non-human homes, and celebrate the volunteers who keep our homes safe, who are truly making a difference. For many Australians, housing affordability has exacerbated beyond the point of a crisis. At the Queensland Housing Summit held in late October, the State Premier announced an additional 13,000 social and affordable homes to be built by 2027. With over 40,000 people currently on the social housing register, what more can be done for those who are struggling to secure safe and affordable housing? Here's my report. The surge in property prices and rental market pressures are having a detrimental effect on the well-being of many Queenslanders, deprived of financial and housing stability. Raise the Rate for Good is a campaign that aims to reduce poverty and addresses the long-standing unaffordability of the rental market and basic living costs. By increasing the rate of income support payments, the campaign hopes to help people on benefits to afford basic needs such as rent. Raise the Rate advocate Nikki Clark has experienced the brunt of the private rental market on a minimal wage and hopes the campaign can change the inequalities of the social security system. So the Raise the Rate campaign is calling for the rate of income support to be lifted to at least $73 a day. The current rate, if you're on youth allowance or job seeker, is $48 a day. So it's not an amount that is livable or sustainable. You know, now people are falling further and further behind in their ability to meet day-to-day expenses. Many young adults are affected by the rising cost of living. And the dream of purchasing their own home is slipping further out of reach. Griffith University PhD candidate Nat Castle is researching housing precarity and explains the housing impacts that young adults are facing. It's so important for people and their well-being and their mental health to have secure housing. A lot of the millennials that I've spoken to find it very difficult to envision a future where they are going to be able to gain security. And not having that security is a real deterrent when it comes to stuff like having a kid, for example, or making these big life decisions that that they want for their future or that they thought they might be able to achieve. It's a barrier, not having secure housing, and it filters into a lot of other aspects of life. A significant spike in rental bills is forcing many young adults to move into share houses or return to their family home. There's housing scarcity. Rents are just being driven up by so much competition. And, you know, we've let it get to a point where all these people can't access 
secure housing. Even middle-class people who have quite high-profile jobs and make pretty good money often still live with their parents in order to sort of try to break into the housing market. And then the other end of the spectrum is, you know, people who find themselves homeless when a rental agreement ends. Being a single mum with two kids on a disability pension, Razor Rate advocate Nikki understands the importance of providing more affordable public housing. I was able to start putting some money away. I wasn't having to live from fortnight to fortnight. So I was able to develop some financial security, which meant that when, you know, there were any sort of emergencies happened, that I was, you know, in a position to pay for those because I had affordable housing. And knowing that I wasn't likely to get moved on in a couple of years Um, like you do in the private rental market, gives me immense peace of mind. The constant financial and housing stress takes a major toll on people's mental health. And public housing can be seen as far more important than just somewhere to live. And as I, I live with mental health issues, having peace of mind around my housing means that that's one less stress. So there's that I don't have anxiety about my housing anymore. You know, no one's going to come and take it away from me. And that makes a big difference, really, just to be able to live and function and just stay in one place. For Nikki, public housing helped her get through her own adversities, as she was able to fund her son's unexpected funeral without worrying about the financial strain. I didn't have the added stress at that time of, oh my gosh, how am I going to come up with all this money? If I had to deal with all of that when I was still trying to pay private rent and everything, I don't know what I would have done. So, you know, unexpected things happen and being able to have housing security and all the benefits that come from it meant that I was able to handle that better and I was able to be there for my daughter. It was life-changing. Raise the Rate for Good hopes to impact the federal budget next May and for the daily income support rate to be lifted to at least $70 in line with the disability pension. In light of the national housing crisis, it's not surprising to hear more people than ever are accessing homelessness support services. With this increased pressure on services comes an increased need for funding and that funding can come in the most unusual ways. Elizabeth Heseltine has more. Kim Turner is an ordinary man doing an extraordinary thing. This year, on International Women's Day, the 8th of March, he set off from Adelaide on his bike to visit 22 Capes in 2022 to raise money and awareness for Catherine House, a charity providing crisis shelter and support to women experiencing homelessness in South Australia. Well, my objective was to ride anti-clockwise around the continent. So um, I left Adelaide and uh, headed west to the Eyre Peninsula, to Port Lincoln, the famous fishing uh, centre, and then I went south to Cape Catastrophe, and that's where I began the ride. Leaving Cape Catastrophe in South Australia, he headed for Australia's southernmost point, Southwest Cape in Tasmania, and then made the long trek up to Cape York in Queensland, mainland Australia's northernmost point. 
before turning his sights west and heading for the Northern Territory when disaster struck. A lady come along behind me in a, I think it was a Hilux fan, and hit me. Uh, I don't know if that was due to inattention, fatigue, or a combination of both. About 140 kilometres east of Hell's Gates on the Barclay between Burketown and Borroloola, just on the Queensland side of the NT border, and I've been recovering from a broken arm ever since. Despite this, Kim isn't going to let it stop him from continuing his mission to help. No, that just made me more more than ever determined to complete it because what I've gone through is only a breath of what uh, the people that use the services supplied by Catherine House go through on a daily basis. Jay Lee Cooper of Catherine House explains just how important Kim's adventure has been, not just for the charity, but for the vulnerable women who utilise this service daily. We just felt so fortunate that he had chosen to support Catherine House because he had heard of some some significant funding um, that we had had cut to our crisis accommodation service, um, which is really the key service for women experiencing homelessness in South Australia. So the fact that Kim decided that, you know, this ride was something that he was going to be able to do to support um, our program was, was just amazing. Catherine House is the principal service in South Australia for women experiencing homelessness, a cause J. Lee Cooper says needs far more awareness. It's hugely important. We, we talk about that awareness is, is one of the main things because women often don't know that there's services out there available for them. Um, and, and lots of clients that come here have said, you know, we only wish that we knew about Catherine House sooner. You know, we, we may have left earlier or we may have changed circumstances earlier. So it's really important from an awareness factor for women to actually know that there's a place that they can go. But it's also really important in terms of a social issue for people to understand that homelessness is on the rise in Australia. Um, homelessness for women is certainly on the rise. Um, and women now 55 and over represent the fastest growing cohort of all people experiencing homelessness. Joan Carpenter has been managing Kim's social media presence for the entirety of his ride, providing support to spread awareness and assist with fundraising. So he and Catherine House came up with the 22 capes in 2022 and Kim, you know, he wants to raise $22,000 for them because every cent they can receive goes to helping women and their families. You know, often we stop ourselves from helping others because we don't feel that we have enough time or enough money or whatever. But if everyone just did their bit, you know, it would make a huge difference um, in the lives of others. Not everybody jumps on a bike and travels around the edge of Australia for months at a time. If people can get behind Kim and continue to uh, donate for Catherine House, that'd be awesome. He is keeping his ride alive, even you know, even if he's on the bike less now because of his injury. He's still continuing. He's keeping that momentum going, and Australia needs to be behind him all the way. Kim is about to hop back on his bike and head south down the coast of Western Australia to finish his incredible journey. To support his fundraising, look for 22 Capes in 2022 on the Raisley website. Never know if yourself or anyone in your life is going to become homeless. And wouldn't you like to have a helping hand? You're listening to Making a Difference, a Junction Journalism production. We often think of home as a physical space where people share memories with friends, family and loved ones. But we can also think of our bodies as a place in which we should all feel at home that one place we can truly call our own, to be decorated to our heart's desire. 
Being comfortable in one's skin is a lifelong pursuit, and some need to take extra steps to truly feel at home. Indio Miles reports. Whether it is the perfect bikini body, six-pack, or silky smooth skin complexion, people are conscious of how they look and are often concerned with creating a unique appearance. The concept of body positivity now means more than just being content with what you were born with, and people are increasingly prepared to explore diverse methods of change. For Amber Luke, her journey began with this conventional goal in mind, but has led to unforgettable experiences. I've got 98% of my body tattooed, got my eyeballs tattooed, I went blind. <laughs> For three weeks when I got those tattooed. Let me put that in mind to you, that's not supposed to happen. The body modification artist that underwent my procedure, let's just say to the least, botched me. But he's also now in jail, so he's serving his time. Amber is a 27-year-old extreme body modification influencer with countless procedures and modifications to her name. However, Unlike people with exclusively standard modifications such as tattoos and piercings, Amber has undergone surgeries which, due to malpractice, rendered her with unfortunate circumstances. He attempted to point my ears twice and he botched them immensely to the point that if I was to go to another body mod artist, which I have in Australia, who does ears, they've felt my ear and they've said, hell no. There's no way we can touch them. That felt crushing. It honestly felt soul-crushing to me because I wanted pixie ears like crazy. Even after these negative experiences, Amber remains an ambassador for the extreme body modification community and sees value in people accessing these procedures. Body modification and tattoos to people can just be self-expression. It can be a way of reinventing yourself. It can be so much more than just what you see on the skin. Along this journey, she has experienced judgment in the eyes of the public, which has remained challenging to this day. People love to discriminate to get in your business and just love to discriminate and hate and project so much onto you that you just sometimes want to just snap. But for every individual who detests the practice of extreme body modification, there are others seeking to actively understand the joy they can facilitate. My mum has been one to realise just how much the journey has brought me. Not just confidence, but just so much clarity on what I want to do with myself and with my life. And it's not just about me. I've realised that I'm also an inspiration not to sound conceited. Amber remains a proponent of body modification accessibility, but does not deny there are dangerous aspects of the industry. Look, along with body modification comes its risks. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like, body modification, it has risks. But you need to just do your research. Honestly, like, I can't preach it more. With a more extensive research process and cautious approach to risk, Amber continues to undergo procedures. And given the opportunity, we'd do this all again. Being Amber Luke comes with a price. It does. It comes with a price tag. But, um... In saying that, I have done everything that I've done for a reason. And believe it or not, every single tattoo has a story. To this day, if people ask me if I regret anything, I say no. No, I don't regret an absolute thing. 
because it's what I wanted at the time. It's it's a passion of mine. It's not just uh, an enthusiasm. It's so much deeper than that. It runs so, so deep. People like Amber share a common belief they are not just wasting their time. Instead, they are consciously devoting energy to refining the body they are the sole occupants of. There's nothing in this world that you can invest more in than, than yourself. At the end of the day, you've got to be happy with yourself. And if you're not happy with yourself, then you're going to be a miserable person for the rest of your life. And you're going to project that on other people and no one's going to be one around you. No one's going to be there at the end of the day. With an improved perception of themselves, people in the extreme body modification community can finally feel at home in their skin. The Northern Rivers floods in February devastated homes, livelihoods and communities. Even now, as this episode is in production, Lismore is once again preparing for the waters to rise. But it's not only people's homes who are threatened and destroyed when natural disasters strike. The fragile ecosystems that are home to birds, fish, wallabies, echidnas and many other plants and wildlife are also thrown into disarray. Northern Rivers local Joshua McGuinness explores the impact of the floods on the area's marine wildlife. Impacts still being felt months after the waters subsided. Byron Wildlife Hospital was one of the first services to spring into action during the crisis in February. Their dedicated teams acted as frontline workers for injured and displaced animals and were the very first to see the effects of the flooding on local wildlife. I was lucky enough to speak with Dr. Chantelle Witten, the associate vet at the mobile hospital. So initially, first couple of days of the floods, we didn't really see anything. Um, we might have seen a, a few birds that were, were waterlogged, so literally swollen with water. Then it wasn't until a few days to weeks to even months later that we started to see wildlife coming in. The displacement of wildlife during the flooding was one of the most tragic and well-documented aspects of the floods. Most people with television and social media would have seen the footage of cows on rooftops and other native Australian species that have been washed into foreign environments. A lot of the time it was animals that were appearing in areas that they shouldn't have been. So um, bearded dragons on the beach, freshwater turtles on the beach that have been washed you know, down in, in currents. Uh, we saw a, a lot of echidnas that were displaced because their homes had been flooded. Um, and we did see, um, not so much at the beginning, but a lot of um, marine turtles and sea snakes as well that are coming in now. I think we, we saw a lot more trauma cases. So a lot of the larger birds, they came in with quite severe fractures um, just from, I think, the storms and just probable traffic accidents and things like that. I think the, the, the ongoing effects, we don't know because we've never had floods as serious as this before. Dr. Maria Baker, an associate professor with Leeds University, works on reef ecology and conservation and is a regular diver and researcher monitoring coral and fish colonies in the reef environments off the Northern Rivers coastline. Her and her team recently dived across multiple islands off the coast and uncovered some really troubling observations about the reefs as they are months on from the floods. So from my personal impressions and those of my colleagues, I would say that it's pretty clear that the coral communities are being hammered by something, but most likely uh, the the input influx of of, of fresh water and, and maybe pollutants and sediments coming in from from the floods. That would be a, you know a likely guess. There was 
a lot of evidence of disease in the corals. My colleague, uh, Bridget Summer from UTS in Sydney, she's our coral expert who's been doing the coral surveys for our project. And so she almost came up from every dive commenting on how the corals looked very diseased, like full of you know, impacts of visible, you get like these black bands that travel across the coral and also just generally diseased patches. There is so much still to be discovered and uncovered about how these weather events really do impact in the long term. But it is not all negative. Just as we humans adapt and change to these conditions, so can the reef. The reef is not dead. So, so there is a lot of coral still there. And even a deceased coral is not dead yet. Maybe we don't know that much about how they recover, but there's certainly still a lot of corals there. It is so important to communicate this correctly. The reef is not dead. While corals and the reef have been affected and seen the detrimental effects of the floods, these affected areas can recover in time. Our biggest threat to the recovery is the frequency and intensity of these weather events that are predicted to occur in the near future. With weather systems expected to get worse in the coming months, it is placing a lot of stress on my local community, who are still picking up the pieces of their lives and trying to rebuild from February and March. This is a human issue as much as it is an ecosystem and wildlife issue. When I spoke to academic and marine ecology expert Anne Leach, she provided some key insights into exactly how climate change and the storm systems can be linked. We've got this heavy rainfall event now and it's spring. So lots of, you know, lots of birds are having chicks and their breeding season is happening for a lot of animals now. And so if you've got these vulnerable animals being born, for some animals, they might lose a whole breeding season. If you only produce one lot of young a year and it's going to be flooded out this weekend, that might be it for, for this season. It's going to be really variable um, on an already quite stressed system. At the end of the day, we still know so little about the long-term impacts of our climate variations. We are only experiencing the very beginning of what a very small rise in global temperatures can cause. The future repercussions of further rising temperatures can be catastrophic for our natural ecosystems. Each individual organism, particularly in an area as biodiverse as the New South Wales East Coast, will be affected in a unique way, respective to their way of life. Even on an individual animal, there's so many different nuances to how the climate is going to affect them in the future. So you add up all those different impacts to a very complicated picture that it's hard to actually predict what's going to happen. To finish today, let's celebrate those who keep our homes safe. Over 26,000 people volunteer for the Western Australia Department of Fire and Emergency Services. Volunteers perform vital tasks such as firefighting, sea rescue and disaster relief. Towns such as Derby in the remote Kimberley region rely completely on volunteers to perform these vital tasks. Elizabeth Hesseltine met with some of these local heroes. Derby. It's a small town tucked away in a remote corner of Australia home to just over 2,000 residents and over 200 kilometres away from the nearest town that can offer any assistance in a crisis. But amongst those 2,000, there are a few who give their time to help others and their community in some of its most trying times. Take volunteer Jane Edwards, who's been involved in the local sea rescue for over 30 years. She says she's been involved in more rescues than she can count, 
But despite this, the feeling she gets from helping her community keeps her involved, even after all these years. I grew up in Derby and I have been very lucky to have awesome people show me and help me with my life and I just want to give back. My whole family is involved in Sea Rescue, my husband, my two daughters and myself. It's very crucial if we don't have the volunteers, our clubs, whether it's uh, Sea Rescue, Fireys, Bushfireys, SES and any sporting clubs will not be able to operate if we didn't have volunteers, so they're very crucial. Some Derby volunteers have recently been recognised for their efforts at a state level. Karen Brennan, captain of the local fire brigade, was recently nominated for an award for her contributions in the effort to recruit more members to the organisation. We had a lot of people leave the brigade in Derby. Derby is quite a transient town. Um, and I, after a year and a half of being a firefighter, was asked to step up and be captain. So I did that, uh, and it, that was a huge change to go from a new, newish firefighter to a captain of a station. In my time there, I guess I worked a lot uh, on building the brigade, on building experience levels and getting new members to join. Uh, so we ran some rec- recruitment campaigns um, and just started kind of almost an overhaul of station, I guess. we established some brigade rules we started more of a social scene we fundraised and got pool table and we've got a darts board and just tried to make it a bit more of a family feel a bit more of a just to kind yeah just worked on building a team i guess so they recognized my um, efforts in forming a team um, and that's why they nominated me for this award As an emergency service volunteer, your time is never boring. Local state emergency service member Louise Burns says one of her favourite parts of the work is the diverse range of skills you learn. The skills that we get are really wide range actually in SES. So we do anything from land searches through to chainsaw operations when we have storms, roof safety systems, tarping roofs, flood boats so we learn how to use the boats we get our skippers tickets Um, there's a huge wide range of things and it may not just be the skills or job satisfaction you can gain from volunteering local fire brigade apparatus officer anna boys got more than she bargained for when new member adam scott joined up after a whirlwind romance the couple are recently engaged Not only did I find the man that I want to marry and be with, but it's just helping out the community is a great way. You know, you see all the faces and you know everyone and everyone knows you and they, yeah, it just feels good knowing that you've helped someone in a situation where they've needed you. Derby is just one of hundreds of towns around Australia relying on local volunteers to save people's homes and lives. Without the selfless actions of these few, whole communities would suffer. Though they are small in number, their impact is mighty, truly deserving of the title of hero. And that story from Elizabeth finishes our program. For more stories about making a difference, go to our website, junctionjournalism.com. I'm Chanel Macbeth. Making a Difference is produced every month. You can subscribe on your favourite podcast app. This episode was produced by Griffith University on Yogamba, Yagara and Turrbal country. 
Thanks for listening.